Usually they think that they can't do maths, but there's a one lesson that you teach and they understand it and they get so excited and you see their face light up and they're running to their friends trying to teach them how to do it. And I think those moments are so, they're just, oh, I love them so much. Yeah. Um, and I think those, those are the moments that I do it for. to the Padlocks and Pathways conversation, where we inform, challenge and inspire students by allowing people to share their stories as humans and professionals. In today's episode, we are joined by Doris. Doris is currently in her fifth and final year of studying a Bachelor of Education, majoring in Secondary Education Mathematics uh, and a Bachelor of Science degree. Um, she has excelled academically at university, including being a Sydney Scholar recipient, Dean's List recipient, and recipient of the Vice-Chancellor's Global Mo Mobility Scholarship. But those are a mouthful indeed. Um, her passion for teaching has led her to uh, teach mathematics in New South Wales schools, including Xavier College, Epping Boys High School, and Asquith Boys High School. Um, Doris is also the recipient of the, uh, of the Great Teaching Inspired Learning Cadetship, which allowed her to become an educational paraprofessional at Epping Boys High School. She's also spent time overseas in Sweden studying uh, and teaching uh, and attended a Swedish university where she studied a teaching and learning within the Swedish school system. With that being said, Doris, thank you for joining the conversation. Thank you for having me. One of the things that um, we like to emphasize on these conversations is um, those, those last two years of, of high school. And I think those are quite um, important and formative for particularly a young, um, young adult. So I just wanted to take you back to your end of high school experience and give you a chance to reflect on what that was like. Um, for those that don't know you, like we both attended the same school, Cherrybrook um, Technology High School. So to start with, like, how would you describe your approach to those last couple of years um, of your high school experience? Were you someone that uh, excelled academically? Did your interests lie outside the classroom? What was that period like for you? Um, well, I think that most people who knew me in high school would have considered me academically driven. Um, and I guess in a sense I was, I definitely did value my academic education and I was striving um, to reach that high ATAR like many people are. But um, I think I was always looking for other things to do outside of the classroom as well. So um, yeah, I always tried to aim to be a little bit more well-rounded and I guess it helped that I knew I wanted to be a teacher. So that kind of pressure to get a super high ATAR wasn't there for me because I knew that for me the ATAR for a teacher would be relatively achievable and yeah. because of that I kind of had more time to do things um, other than you know just studying really hard so um, yeah I was getting involved in volunteering outside of school I had a part-time job I was trying to um, keep up involvement in sports so I was just trying to really make the most of what um, high school had to offer. And I think that high school, particularly in stage six, is it's such a unique kind of place to be in life. You know, you're in this um, like 
quiet, small, kind of isolated community where you get all these opportunities um, kind of presented to you. And um, yeah, so I kind of just tried to make the most of that um, as I could. And yeah, I really enjoyed those last few years of high school, even though they were stressful. Don't get me wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you talked about how, you know, you tried your best to, you know, be a well-rounded um, person and um, the fact that you didn't necessarily have to focus all your attention on your academics um, to reach a particular uh, career goal. So one of the things that you did uh, outside of your, your academic life, I suppose, um, was compete, I suppose, in the, in the May Somali Award, which we just talked about. And oh, yeah. For those that for those that don't know, like it's an award at our former high school, which um, basically, how would you describe it? Basically, ask students to reflect on what public education means to them. Uh, I think I'm mm -hmm. characterizing that in, in the general gist of it. Um, so yeah, there's a graduate May who sponsors this award at our school. Uh, I think she went on to study law at Harvard um, and is doing some really cool things as well. Um, and yeah, basically in response to that. Um, in response to that question, you created a song and video um, in response to the question, what does public education mean to you? And I thought it was really cool. And I thought, um, you know, I really wanted to uh, engage in that a bit further. So, I mean, in that, in that video, you talked about essentially like the value of um, your public school education. You talked about, mm. you know, how it, you know, empowers um, young leaders, it provides opportunities uh, and in encourages diversity as well. So, just like a, I suppose, a general um, opening question in regards to that uh, experience. Um, what did public school um, education mean to you and um, what sort of opportunities did it, did it allow, allow you and your experience? Mm. Well, I've always been an advocate for public education. I've always attended public schools. Um, and for me, I really see the value in belonging to a school community that is indicative and representative of the society that we live in. And we live in a very, um, I would say het heterogeneous, is that the word? Um, very mixed, very diverse um, yeah. community. And I think that for us to be able to engage with that world that we're gonna graduate into, um, it's very important that we experience kind of interactions and working with people from all walks of life that we're going to also meet in society. And I think that public education and comprehensive schools is a mm. really good way for us to do that. So um, in our school, we were the largest comprehensive high school in New South Wales, um, population wise. And there were people from all like backgrounds pursuing all different kinds of careers um, and pathways. And I think it was just mm. a great melting pot of just diversity and um, community. And it was, yeah, it was very impactful for me personally um, mm. and belonging to a community such as Cherrybrook um, technology mm. high school was it was really empowering for me because I think um, yeah getting to work alongside all these different people and hear different perspectives mm. um, 
has kind of, I think it helps you to appreciate difference a little bit more. And um, in terms of my career, it's kind of helped me to know that I, I want to stay in the public sector of education and that's where my passions lie. And I think that, um, yeah, that's what we should invest in for the future generations as well, because mm. it's especially in our school, which was so big, there were people for everyone. Like, I don't think that there was any situation where like you couldn't find someone to relate to in some way because there were so many different people and everyone kind of had different interests or different stories to tell. One of the lines in the song, mm. granted it had to rhyme, so it's a it little bit weird. It was a great song. It was a weird, really great but, song. But um, I think the opening line was misfits fitting in friends by nature, not by skin. Um, yeah. And I think, yeah, that was something that I saw a lot at Cherrybrook, especially in my own experiences. It wasn't ever like a um, putting you into a box because of what you look like, because there were people who looked like lots of different things. Like people yeah, yeah. looked different in our school. Yeah. And so it wasn't enough to put you in a box. And I, I mm. kind of liked that. So, um, yeah. yeah, it was just a really good experience for me. Obviously, mm. it doesn't... I don't speak for everyone. Everyone's experiences were different, but of for me personally, it was a great, great mm. experience. I mean, looking back on like our experience of public public school education, like like yourself, I've always attended public schools. I suppose mm. you know there's a real sort of stigma around you know public public school education and what that's like, um, and I think that you know I mean from my own perspective, looking back on that period. Um, you know, for me personally, I think I definitely underappreciated and undervalued what it actually, you know, brought to the table and um, what it did for me. Um, you know, mm. particularly in, you know, the environment we live in where, you know, in Sydney, we live in, you know, quite a, like a wealthy, um, like wealthy part of Sydney. Um, we have great access to, you know, essential services, this, that, and the other. So, you know, amongst all of that, do you think that um, public school education is a little bit underappreciated, you know, because of you know, stigma um, that may be attached to it? Yeah, I definitely think that um, in the area that we live in, especially, it's mm. kind of ironic because in our area, the public schools are as wealthy as they get. These public schools are so well funded because, as you said, we live in quite a fortunate area and community. Mm. And yet in these communities, everyone kind of looks down on public schools because these people also have so much more um, access to other types of schools like private schools or um, religious schools um, and other means of segregation like that. And I think it's quite unfortunate really because um, there are, I think there are, merits to public education that you just don't get in a segregated kind of schooling environment so mm -hmm. as you said in my introduction um i have completed professional experience placements in um, single sex schools and mm. um, religious schools and for me 
I just feel like some schools can be very effective for particular demographics, but as a whole, there's something about a completely comprehensive schooling environment, which you just, you miss out on things if you're excluding particular students. Mm. And I think that, yeah, I really do wish that people wouldn't look down on public education so much mm. um, or think that the best education is the one that you pay for the most or mm. something like that where, yeah, um, yeah there's merit in um, Definitely. Yeah, just yeah. public education. <laughs> I mean, just going off what you said there, I mean, you know, you mentioned at the start about how the school that we attended was, you know, quite well funded, quite well off, um, things of that nature. But I mean, you know, there's always going to be a school that is more wealthy, more prestigious, more well-funded, whatever the case may be. And I think, mm. I mean, you know, just having a chat to, um, you know, Sanjeev um, you know, a couple of hours ago as well, um, you know, he talked about, you know, the value is not necessarily in, you know, how much money is, you know, put towards a school or like what types of buildings or technology you have, you know, it's about, you know, the students you have and the students that are attracted to um, public school as well. And, you mentioned there about, you know, trying to, um, you know, get rid of the stigma associated with um, public schools. And I think, um, you know, a, a way you can, we can do that is by, you know, celebrating some of the opportunities that, um, you know, have come across young people like yourself um, who have graduated from school, public schools. So looking back on your high school experience, um, you know, for those that, you know, may be entering into a public school or have never experienced a public school in their life, um, what were some of the opportunities that um, came across um, um, your your lap when you were in uh, that public school environment? Um, well, there were definitely a lot. And um, for example, just thinking about in year seven, um, mm. as a young girl coming into this big schooling environment, um, there were lots of things, sporting teams and clubs that I'd never really heard of before, but because mm. we had a school of that size, um, we had the, the opportunity to kind of participate in. So I joined the volleyball team and I'd never played volleyball before, but I had a really good time and met really great people through it. Um, there were a lot of opportunities um, which were linked to my interests as well. So, um, I think I always liked to teach and there were all these peer tutoring kind of opportunities or um, there was this maths peer tutoring that I got yeah. involved in. Yeah. There was a reading peer tutoring that I got involved in. Mm. Um, there was a big sister program, which was such a great initiative where um, senior girls were kind of paired up with um, groups of young year seven girls and they got to kind of um, mentor them and get to know them and just be another friendly face for these um, young girls who are just starting high school and I thought that was such a great initiative um, what else I think one of the things that was really unique to mm. Cherrybrook um, which I wasn't necessarily um, that involved in but really really loved being a part of was 
our multicultural days. Yeah, um, yeah. They were so great. The food, the shows, the like, um, everything was just so spectacular. And I think it was because of the unique diversity that we had that we were mm. able to have that. Um, and I think that's something that perhaps is more readily available in a public school where, you know, there's a lot of different people, um, mm. which yeah. is something I thought was brilliant. Um, other things I got involved in, there were so many opportunities for student leadership as well. Um, mm -hmm. So I got involved in SRC in year 10 and then was yeah. great, uh, lucky enough to get onto um, the senior student exec team with you um, <laughs> in our senior mm. years. And that was yeah. a great, great honor. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, you were a part of that team, but you, you were also the school captain as well. Um, so, yeah. I mean, one of the, I did want to talk about that experience um, a bit as well, because, you know, whilst you are amongst an executive team, I imagine that you shouldered, you know, quite a bit of responsibility in that position, um, particularly for a school of that size and that prestige, um, things of that nature. So, I mean, going into that particular position, um, were there any reservations or concerns that you had going into that particular role? I mean, I was talking uh, in my conversation with Sanjeev just a, a moment ago, we were talking about our fear of public speaking. What sort of challenges oh, did, you, sure. did you face on your leadership journey? Um, well, I think for me, I was so, um, I think I had so much respect for the school captains that came before us. They were mm. so brilliant. They were well loved. And I think I held them in such a high regard that I think it was really difficult for me to step into their shoes and feel like I was a worthy kind of person to be there in that position. Um, and I think 100% there with Sanjeev, the fear of speaking, I didn't think I was afraid of public speaking until I became school captain and suddenly I just became so nervous and aware of how awkward I felt up on the stage. But um, yeah, I think in hindsight, looking back, I wish I just um, brought in more confidence to that role and kind of filled the position in the way that I could have if I just let go of what I thought people were expecting from me or, mm. um, you know, thought I had to do, if I, but couldn't. And um, yeah, it was definitely nervous, but I learned a lot and I grew a lot. Um, and yeah. it was such a, such a good experience overall. What was the most rewarding part about being a school captain or being a part of those leadership teams? Um, I think my favorite part about it and perhaps the most rewarding was um, just planning those fundraiser events that we did um, yeah. and getting to choose, you know, a really relevant, really worthy cause for us to um, raise money towards and our little initiatives um, of trying to, you know, get the school to get hyped up and bring as much yeah. money as they can. And I remember our first Mufti day, um, 
being able to bring in a dunk tank to school and how yeah. the kids loved that and we got so much money from it and it all went to the cancer council I think and like afterwards just knowing that we contributed to that and we kind of helped to make that happen it was such a great feeling and I think mm. the best thing about our team um like before I was saying I felt um maybe a little bit incompetent as the school captain but the best thing about us I think was that um I think we were all kind of very um on the same level and everyone yeah. did their part and kind of worked together really well and it was such a joy to be working with that team and everyone had their own skill set everyone kind of brought their own opinions and personality to the table and it was it was a really, really fun team to be a part of. And I think that made mm. it so much more, um, yeah, rewarding. Yeah, I think like, obviously it's really cool to hear about, you know, some of the most rewarding parts about being school captain. I think there's definitely value in, in that. Um, but I also think it's, you know, really refreshing to hear about some of, you know, your concerns and, you know, reservations you mm. had going into that position as well. Like you touched on there about, you know, prior to entering that role, you, you sort of created like an expectation of like what an ideal like leader would be in that particular role and yeah. you know you might have started comparing yourself to that person and saying oh crap i don't have xyz skills i don't have this experience i don't have this personality um mm. and at least in my own experience you know um I've, I've definitely i definitely resonate with that particular message as well you also mentioned earlier about how you know public education offered you a lot of opportunities and I suppose that, you know, when there is such an abundance of opportunities, you know, it can be, you know, ironically, it can lead to students becoming a little bit lost and, you know, lacking a mm. bit of direction and um, clarity about um, what it is they're actually interested or passionate about. So just taking you back towards uh, the end of that high school period, particularly in year 12, um, did you have a, a clear vision of what you actually wanted to pursue um, later down the line? Did you have you know set in stone your passions and interests or were you still sort of figuring that out at that stage um well as I've kind of mentioned before I think I always knew that I, I wanted to be a teacher and I had passion in mm -hmm. education um but ironically I think it was those last few kind of moments before the HSC um, when we were putting in our UAC preferences when I started having the most doubts about becoming a teacher, I think, especially because I was getting older, I was kind of becoming more aware of, um, you know, like societal expectations and financial prospects and um, things like that, where, which I'd never had to notice before when I was eight years old and going, I want to be a teacher. Mm, like yeah, that yeah. never had to cross my mind. And I think um, especially you know, growing up in a middle-class Chinese first-generation like immigrant family, um, I kind of felt like I owed it to myself to pursue the grandest occupation I could, um, kind of in the, in the sense of, you know, the typical lawyer, like, doctor, doctor, lawyer, yeah. engineer kind of, kind of vibe, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I think I had a lot of adults around me telling me, um, like, oh, why are you settling for teaching when you could 
pursue something better or like make a better life for yourself, um, things like that. And mm-hmm. I think um, that kind of mindset did kind of take over for me for a little while. And I was starting to really look into um, engineering because I thought, okay, I like maths. What else can I do with that? Maybe yeah. engineering. Um, and I seriously looked into it for a very long time. And I even got sponsored by the school to go on this um, women in engineering camp for a week in the holidays. Um, and I was almost going to choose it. It was on my UIC preferences. But then I kind of realized, you know what? I don't know what an engineer does. All I know is that people think that it's prestigious and that mm. I might make more money in that role than I would as a teacher. But ultimately, I think my heart has always been set on teaching and on education. Um, mm. And ultimately, that's kind of what I went for. Um, and here's not to say that I haven't, you know, regretted it or, um, you know, changed my mind or like been hesitant. But I think mm. it's what I'm sticking with. Um, and yeah. Hopefully, it all works out in the end. But yeah, yeah. of course. I mean, um, I mean, yeah. Going back to the idea of you know being lost and lacking a bit of direction, you may have just touched on it there. But you know, if there is someone potentially in high school in the early or later later years who you know may be struggling um, to figure out what their interests or passions are, um, and you know who may not have those set in stone, um, you know what advice or suggestions would you potentially give to that that person Mm, I do think um firstly keep your options open I think yeah um like don't close any doors yet if you don't know what you want to do because you Mm. never know when you might change your mind or you know miss out on an opportunity that would have been really great for you um because you didn't consider it um I also think well there was some really good advice that I got um from a teacher of mine who said that you know a lot of us especially um in our generation we're all so caught up in following our passions um following what we um want to do when we could also be you know, following what society needs and what, um, yeah, like what needs there are in society and how we could help to fill them. Um, So maybe if you don't really have an idea what you want to do yet, you could always look at um, different things that your society or community are in need of and Hmm. maybe you could um, look into that a bit more and see if, any of that would be something you would want to help with. Another thing I wanted to talk about, which I think was quite interesting is, you know, how you decided to pursue teaching at university. And you touched on there, like just a minute ago about, you know, you, you, you had a lot of people in your ear saying different things about, you know, what mm. you should do, what has better career prospects, what's going to earn you the most money. Um, and, you know, I mean, personally, I can definitely resonate with with um, those sentiments. So and I think it takes a lot of um, courage and a willpower to, you know, fend, the, fend those, um, 
those uh, sort of messages off and to really stick to your guns, I suppose, uh, particularly when you're, you know, that young. So, I mean, you mentioned there that there was a particular pressure on you to choose a particular, uh, like a uni university degree after high school. Um, but what made you pursue a double degree of education and science in a in university, you mentioned that obviously teaching was something you've been passionate about for a long time, but um, what was it about those two degrees in particular? Um, well, actually, um, the University of Sydney only offers education as a double degree, right, unless right. you want to do it as a postgraduate, um, like masters of teaching kind of thing. Yeah. So it was kind of the only choice if I wanted to pursue teaching. Um, but I guess it's a matter of why did I decide to teach maths as opposed to, um, mm. you know, doing a Bachelor of Arts and teaching something yeah. fun like English or something like that. Um, and I think that came down to the advice that my teacher gave that I just shared about mm. going for what's a need. And I think, um, Australia has a strong need for more teachers in STEM subjects such as science and maths um, and technology. And um, that's kind of where I decided to go, especially because there were scholarships um, up for grabs in those areas. And I kind mm -hmm. of went, okay, well, if I'm not gonna make lots of money in the future I might as well get a scholarship now so that's kind <laughs> yeah. of what I went for <laughs> definitely yeah and I mean you know at Cherrybrook we had we were lucky enough to have some really cool teachers and amazing teachers um apart from you know your strong passion for teaching which you've had for a long time were there any um you know potentially teachers that you know you had along the way that inspired you and that you you saw as um like role models or mentors or something along mm. those lines? For sure. Um, I think that good teachers have always been my inspiration for um, pursuing an education. I think especially those teachers who have really, really good relational practice where they, um, they are like mentors to you and they can mm. really give you advice and they really care for you and want the best for you in the future and I think I've been really really um lucky to have lots of teachers like that especially at Cherrybrook I had quite a few um yeah, yeah. who would give you you know lunch times to talk through um options and career paths and you know telling them um or telling me about their experiences and what made them become a teacher when um you know when they were my age and there were teachers who um were really excited about hearing that I wanted to pursue teaching and they were so mm. willing to help um and I think that was that was the support that I needed when I was that age just someone um to kind of counter all those other voices who were saying you know, don't be a teacher, mm. um, you know, do this and all that instead. And mm. among, amidst that, there were all these teachers that I really respected and admired and, um, you know, wanted to be like, and they were supporting me and encouraging me. And I think that was 
um, yeah, definitely, definitely helpful yeah. in me pursuing education. Yeah, I mean, I think as students, like, you come, obviously, you come across a wide range of teachers. And, you know, there are some teachers who are happy just ticking the boxes and doing the X's and O's. And mm -hmm. obviously, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. You can, that's completely fine. But, you know, w once in a while, you come across, you know, really, like, really, really special people that, you know, go the extra mile for you and are really invested in your learning and development. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, for me, you know, I've, I've come across a few teachers like that. And um, it's really cool to see that, you know, you have also had, um, teachers, particularly in a public education system, um, who have done similar things for you as well. So another thing which I wanted to touch on, which was sort of on the same lines there, is, you know, some of the misconceptions potentially about a career in teaching. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I'm someone that, you know, doesn't know the first, first thing about actually being a teacher, let alone some of the misconceptions. So, um, in your experience, were there any, you know, misconceptions or, um, you know, incorrect expectations that uh, you came across, uh, which, you know, in your experience as a teacher, you found out to be completely false and, and inaccurate? Mm, um, definitely. I think the biggest one is, um, I don't know if you've heard it, but I remember when mm. I was a student, people would, you know, their response to a bad teacher would be, or if you can't do, then teach. And that was kind of, you know, what people thought about teachers. They were um, only teaching because they couldn't do anything else. Um, <laughs> and there, I think there's always kind of been a stigma that, oh, teaching's really um, easy or it's a little bit relaxed because mm. there's holidays um, and things like that. Yeah. Especially, I think, when you're a student, you kind of just see them walk into the class for 50 minutes some of them leave for half an hour some mm. of them just sit at their desk you know and so a lot of us might get the um perception that oh like being a teacher is easy or it's like a lazy person's job or whatever um things like that yes. and i think um you know going into initial teacher education and going on placements and working in a school i really see how hard teachers work. Um, they have so much preparation that goes into um, the classes that they teach, especially the really good ones. Then there's mm. um, like meetings, professional development, there's accreditation, there's interviews with parents and um, <laughs> like there's so much that they do. And I have so much respect for teachers even more so now studying to become one than I did as a student, even though I, I already felt like I had a lot of respect for them. Mm. Um, and I think that, yeah, people who kind of look down on teachers don't really understand how difficult of a profession it is. So like, um, mm. I know so many teacher friends right now who plan all the way through their school holidays because they want to be prepared for the new year um, or like they're just constantly thinking about their students or they're constantly buying maths textbooks to see what everyone's doing and trying to find the best questions um, or like there's just so much thought 
and preparation that goes into a good teacher's mm. practice that, um, yeah, lots of people don't really see. And I think mm. um, I really do encourage people to maybe try and think about um, what's deeper than face value for what your teachers might present in the class. And mm. um, yeah, just trying to have a bit more of an appreciation for them. I know yeah. some of them, you know, some of them, I get it, <laughs> not the best, but I think there yeah. are lots of teachers out there who are really passionate about what they do. And mm. um, yeah, they put in a lot of effort and we're all trying to make our education system better. And that's kind mm. of the goal for us. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, like hearing you say that, like reminds me of when I was back in school and to be honest with you, I was someone that definitely under underappreciated the teachers that I had. Um, Honestly, so, me too. Sometimes, though. yeah. You, <laughs> so. I think it, I think it's natural just to like you as a young yeah. person, you take them for take them for granted a bit, and because you don't you you don't understand you know that particular perspective. Yeah, um, for sure. So it's really cool how you know your perspective has changed now that you've you're slowly entering that particular profession, and mm. I suppose along the same lines, one of the motivators for this particular project is to allow young people to share their experiences uh, entering um, diverse uh, professions and careers. Uh, and I think that is really valuable for students, particularly in high school or early university, um, you know, who might not actually know, you know, some of the real life insights into what it's actually like being a particular, being in a particular profession. So, as you touched on there, alongside your university degree, um, you've also been able to undertake um, several placements and um, like work experience related uh, jobs uh, as a teacher or paraprofessional uh, in a few different schools across uh, Sydney, as well as overseas. So just to start off with, for someone who might not know exactly what a teacher does, um, you touched on it there briefly, um, but what is a typical day in the life of a teacher? Um, so a typical day in the life of a teacher, I guess, would um, be, you know, a morning of planning for your day. And then mm -hmm. you've got your classes, which you go to. Um, and I think the brilliant thing, or terrifying, but also brilliant, depending on how you look at it, yeah. is that particularly for teachers, and I think it's quite unique to teaching is that you could be as prepared as you like for your classes but you absolutely have no idea what you're going to get when you walk into that classroom because your audience is 30 dynamic emotional teenagers who you have no control over like how they're feeling or you know what their um rest of the day looks like and so you kind of um go in there and you're kind of engaging with them in the real time. You, you can't prepare for the interactions that you're going to have with your students. And mm. um, I think that's what makes teaching so dynamic and interesting. Um, and so you kind of go to your periods and you have no idea if you're going to come back, you know, super, um, encouraged and inspired or completely drained um, mm. but that's the teacher's day and they just do it period yeah. in period out day in day out um, and they kind of 
I think a lot of the teachers I know, they're learning to kind of leave things, leave the emotions at work kind of, and just not take mm. any of it to heart because you're working with teenagers. And we all know that as a teenager, sometimes you get a little bit emotional or sometimes mm. you just feel really rebellious. And, yeah, you know, yeah. if you're working with teenagers all day, um, you kind of just learn to go with the flow. And a yeah. lot of the teacher day is just going with the flow, I think. You really? you plan your lesson, yes, and it's mm. you have to make sure it's aligned with the syllabus. But at the end of the day, what happens in your classroom, you have to kind of take as it comes and yeah. Um, yeah, try to do the best by your students. We were talking off air, off camera about, you know, some of the experiences you've had teaching and most of them have been in like high school uh, environments. So, you know, working in a, in a high school environment, I imagine is difficult at times to put it mildly. So what, <laughs> yeah. have, what have been some of the, the challenges and obstacles you've faced um, in those early stages of teaching in, in, a, in mm -hmm. high school? I think um, particularly in my early kind of years, um, I would consider myself a little bit of a perfectionist when I do things. Um, and so the whole bit that I just said before, I didn't mm. know that yet when I first walked into a classroom. And so I think I kind of just expected things to go to plan. And it was really difficult accepting the fact that it wouldn't and it never will because you can't like if it went exactly to plan you wouldn't be mm. teaching humans you'd be teaching robots they'd do exactly as you say but humans aren't like mm. that um and kind of learning to accept that you know every student has a personality and we can celebrate that in the classroom um and kind of not feel like it's a personal attack against you and your teaching, but actually mm. just, you know, them trying to be themselves. And um, I think there were lots of moments in the beginning when I kind of, you know, tried to do something and it didn't really work and um, learning to take it or not take it personally and just, you know, picking yourself back up again reflecting mm. on the process and seeing what you can do better next time um, yeah. was something that I had to learn the hard way, but I'm better off for it. So mm. here's to hoping that um, <laughs> it gets easier. And yeah, I, honestly, yeah. I think it will, because if you get to know your students better over the year, I'd imagine, you know, you can kind of predict, you know, what their personality is like a little bit and you mm. kind of, know better what you can expect mm. as opposed to um like someone going in on placement only for a few weeks yeah and, yeah is that sort yeah. of what you've been doing yeah so um for placements it's only been a few weeks at a time my yeah. paraprofessional role has been over a few years so I have gotten to yeah. know some students a bit better um which is yeah which is nice I think honestly like getting to know your students is one of the most important things as a teacher mm. um, because it, it makes or breaks the kind of dynamic in your classroom. Yeah. And I think, yeah, as I said earlier, it's really cool to hear about, you know, some of the like authentic and honest um, reflections on, you know, what it's like entering a particular like, industry or field. Um, mm. 
you know, along the same lines of painting accurate and realistic depictions, um, on the flip side, what have been, you know, some of the most rewarding parts about, you know, being a teacher or a paraprofessional? Um, what are the things that like really, you know, get you out of bed and want to really um, impact the lives of young people um, in that capacity? Um, I definitely think that learning to appreciate those little victories um, and celebrate those little victories mm -hmm. is a really big thing. So as I was saying, those kind of relationships that you build um, with students and your staff, I think that's honestly one of the best bits about teaching, just knowing that, you know, these kids have a rapport with you and they're willing to, you know, say hi to you in the playground or have a conversation with you. Um, and just knowing that like a bit by bit, they're kind of, you know, willing to, let you in a little bit and just that little bit more so that they're more receptive to your teaching and hopefully learning in your classroom. Um, and I think, yeah, just those, those little, those little moments, I think some people call them light bulb moments, but yeah. you know, when you've been working with a kid for a while and um, they have a day where you know, usually they think that they can't do maths, but there's a one lesson that you teach and they understand it and they get so excited and you see their face light up and they're running to their friends trying to teach them how to do it. And I think those moments are so, they're just, oh, I love them so much. Yeah. Um, and I think those, those are the moments that I do it for. And sometimes mm. you get them, you know, once a day, once a week, but you get that moment and it just it makes you forget all the like hard times that you had that week because mm. it just makes it worth it um yeah and yeah i think that's the best thing about teaching yeah it's honestly like, really interesting to hear like what it's like from the other side from a teacher's perspective and yeah it definitely has prompted me to reflect on um you know how i interacted with my teachers back then because um yeah i think at least in my own experience, um, you know, the teachers I've had have come in like with good intentions and um, have, you know, are really invested in um, this, the um, success of their students. So um, yeah, again, it's really refreshing to hear that particular insight there. Um, just to sort of cap off that particular um, part of the conversation, if um, I suppose in summary, if there is a young person out there who may be considering a, a career in teaching, but is on the fence, is not too sure if they want to do it um, and study it in university, um, what would your suggestion or advice be to that person um, who is a little bit unsure of, of that particular pathway? Well, my initial thought is to just go for it. Just try yeah. it. Um, you might love it. Um, I think that teaching is, it's honestly such a unique, such a special profession because it's all about relationships and it's not in, you know, a corporate sense where you're trying to network and trying to, you know, Leverage. build those kind of relationships. Yeah. I feel like it's a little bit more genuine and it's brought down to this kind of level where um, you kind of, I think, I don't know, humbling is kind of the word that comes to mind when you're working with young people. Um, and honestly, you're going to have such a good time as a teacher. Um, yes, it's going to be really hard. 
yes, there are going to be moments where you might not think that it's for you, but I think toughing it out ultimately, um, just it's so worth it. And seeing your kids light up in your classroom because you taught them something they never thought they could learn is, you know, that's, that's awesome. And mm. that's something that you can only do as a teacher. So try mm. it out. Definitely. You can always change, right? Hex, don't worry about Hex. Just, just be a teacher. Just do it. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, I think my Hex dad is slowly, slowly getting up there at the moment, but well, yeah. Let's not talk about it. <laughs> let's not, uh, <laughs> we'll worry about it later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't earn enough yet. We don't have to worry about it. Exactly. So alongside, <laughs> alongside your university degree, you, you were also able to um, study and work abroad in Sweden. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, it was just a two month kind of exchange program, but um, yeah, we got the opportunity to go into Swedish schools and see how they do things, which was really nice. Okay, so what exactly did you did you do there? Um, what university did you attend and like what did you study? Tell us a bit about um, what that experience was like for you. Um, sure. So um, I go to the University of Sydney and they have an exchange program for um, education students to mm -hmm. go to Umeå in Sweden. Um, and you do a course with that uh, with Umeå University and it's called Teaching and Learning in the Swedish School System I believe and um, it's basically a really great opportunity to actually step foot in a Swedish school and see how they do things for a little while. Um, so we went to a school it's actually considered a private school because of their mm -hmm. funding but the Swedish system is unique from Australia in that um, education is absolutely free for every student. So even really? though it was a private school, yeah, so students weren't paying anything to attend that school, um, which I thought was awesome. Mm. Um, and so I was shadowing a year six class for about a month and we got to teach mm. them a few lessons and I got to help them with some maths and follow them on excursion, excursions. And it was, mm. yeah, really, really good experience. What were some of the differences, other differences you saw between like the Swedish and Australian school system, apart from it being free, which I didn't know about, um, you know, yeah. What were some of those differences that you can explore? Mm, there were quite a few little things. I think mm. um, while they didn't have uniforms. They weren't compulsory because um, it was kind of part of the free education thing. So there were no strings attached. You didn't have to buy uniforms, no stationery, um, like lunch was provided. So that was something which was very different. And I think mm. um, something I really, really appreciated about their system, but also little things like um, they don't call their teachers by their surnames, they call them by their first names. Really? Um, yeah, which is really, really different because over here it's seen as kind of disrespectful to yeah. call your teacher yeah. by their first name. But over there, it was really interesting to see how they actually balanced their relationship and their dynamics. So it was just mm. as respectful, but it felt more personal. And it was also because mm. um, 
they actually keep the same teacher for three whole years in the same class for three whole years. Um, and they yeah. do that every three years. And so they get a really good opportunity to build those relationships um, and get to know their, their classmates and their teachers, um, mm. which is, yeah, not something that I've seen in Australia before. So that was Definitely. also um, quite interesting. And I think mm. one of the biggest shocks for us was um, because, you know, over here in Australia, you've got all these teachers patrolling at lunch times. There's supervision everywhere, you know, like yeah. you can't climb a tree without getting told off. And in Sweden, yeah. there's one teacher looking after everyone. If there are kids running across slippery ice, they don't say anything. You know, if they want to jump off a pile of snow, they don't, they don't say anything. Um, and it's kind of their, it's their culture of learning through risky play that they kind of do in Sweden. So, you know, uh, we were talking to a teacher and he said, oh, well, you know, if a kid falls on the ice and breaks his leg, he's not going to run anymore. Yeah. So it's a learning experience for him. Mm. Um, and that was something that was quite, quite interesting, yeah. which I, I actually understand where they're coming from. I think sometimes um, we're a bit too caught up with, you know, lawsuits and stuff like that. that I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, we kind of don't get those opportunities to learn how to fail. Um, whereas yeah. I think it's a really important skill to learn how to fail. Definitely. I mean, alongside you touched on there some of the differences um, you faced um, teaching over there in Sweden. Um, obviously, obviously, I imagine there would have been a few challenges, challenges and obstacles um, you faced teaching in Sweden. Um, we talked, you know, off air about, you know, language barriers, cultural differences, yeah. um, different teacher, uh, teaching styles. Um, so what were some of the challenges you faced over there in your, in your experience? Um, I think the biggest one for us was language barrier. So yeah. obviously yeah. it's Sweden, their main language is Swedish. Um, yeah. And I do not speak Swedish. So <laughs> luckily, a lot of their students were quite competent in English and they were very enthusiastic about um, teaching us Swedish words as well so they were very um, receptive to us and willing to you know help us out um, but there were actually students who felt shy about their English because they didn't feel um, comfortable speaking it to us and so when we were teaching these classes it was quite interesting um, trying to navigate that and um, we actually ended up using a lot of practices, which um, in hindsight would actually be really good to use here with kind of other students who don't have English as a main language either. So mm, we were yeah. relying a lot on nonverbal communication and, um, you know, gestures, simple words and um, like multimedia kind of um, lessons, which was, um, a really good experience actually and mm. um we kind of so I was with like a um another girl who also helped me so we were kind of co-teaching and we were trying to embed Swedish words into our lessons um which was actually really really useful because um I think when kids see that you're making an effort to engage them mm. and the knowledge that they have um, in your lessons, they they feel appreciated and they feel seen and they're more likely to 
you know, engage in your lesson. And um, like, that's not something that I would have really done if I wasn't teaching in a different country. But I think now that I have that experience um, back here in Australia, there may still be instances where, you know, I might want to try and engage students, mother languages in our classroom. Um, and yeah, that was, that was definitely something really cool. Um, yeah. I also think, sorry to cut you off, but um, no, no. there was this one instance where like, despite the language barrier, there was mm. this kid in a, he was kind of in a, an afternoon like maths lesson because he was falling behind, I think. And there was something that he didn't know how to do, but through like diagrams and pictures and letting him write on my surface pro, he was like, <laughs> he felt like he understood it. And it was, um, yeah, it was really, really cool. Mm. Yeah, that's really cool how, you know, different experiences overseas have, you know, actually informed and developed your own teaching style. And yeah, as you sure. mentioned, yeah, do you think, yeah, I was just going to ask, do you think it's, you know, important to, as teachers, to expose yourself to different learning environments to, to get that opportunity? Definitely, um, especially because, like, um, not even just countries, like in Australia, mm. every state has their own kind of twist on the syllabus on the curriculum and so everyone's doing things a little bit differently um there was a maths maths teachers conference that i went to in melbourne and they were using um like robots and stuff in their maths classrooms because they have a little bit of um programming and graphics calculators in their syllabus and um it just opens your eyes to different you know potential that you could do in your classroom which you might not see just in the community that you're in. So it's always really nice, I think, to step foot outside of that, or even just speaking to people who um, have gone to other places um, yeah. and hearing about what they've done. It's really, really awesome. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Doris, that almost brings us to the end of our time. Uh, that's gone really quickly, to be honest with oh, you. Oh, that was um, really quick. Yeah, I mean, it's almost, we're coming up to an hour. So, I mean, to finish, I just wanted to sort of go full circle and, and take you back to that video you did back in high school. I mean, um, like I've written down here, like one of the interesting parts you talked about was how we as students are the future generations that will see a better world. So to end on, I just wanted to ask quite a general question. Um, you know, you might've already answered, answered it in part earlier. Um, but for somebody out there, particularly for a student in high school, university, um, you know, who, who may, you know, have an intention to, you know, make a better world or to make an impact in whatever they're interested in, but um, is not entirely sure about how they're going to make that impact. Um, is there any final message uh, or piece of advice you, you would give to that person who lacks that um, direction or clarity? Mm, I think that um, ultimately everyone has their own kind of path and their own direction. And um, like, honestly, society always tells us, you know, you've got to know this by this particular point in your life and be sure of this and that and then that. 
but everyone works on their own timeline and mm. just because you don't know what you want to do now doesn't mean you're never going to figure it out as long as you keep you know having that passion that desire to you know help or make the world a better place I'm sure that you're going to find a need which you want to fill one day or you're going to keep searching for um you know a passion that can help others and um just never stop striving to um reach that main goal of yours whether it's you know helping people or um giving back to your community or whatever your um you know end goal is just always be on the lookout for ways to do that and i think if you're doing that in all your little actions, um, just like with that intention in mind, I think you'll look back and realize that, well, even in all your little thing actions, you've been doing it all, all along and you have been mm. making a change. And, you know, that's, that's like all we can hope for just to, you know, help leave our little, leave an impact on the world and leave our mark. And um, yeah yeah um, yeah i mean you said it best in that video i think um you know we are the future generations that will see a better world so mm. i mean on that note doris um like i said yeah we're almost at an hour um, now so just wanted to say a big thank you um i'm very grateful that you've taken time out of your day to have this conversation um you know i think that a lot of people will benefit, particularly people who are interested in, um, you know, a path similar to yours. Um, I think it's really cool how, you know, you were very honest and transparent about your experiences, not just your successes, but also, you know, your failures, your the hurdles you overcame and the challenges uh, you encountered. So I just want to thank you for your honesty and um, transparency today uh, and also for your time as well. Thank you so much for having me, Sid. I think this is such a great um, kind of podcast to be doing and yeah I really hope that um, yeah people listen to this and get something out of it